As if the McCrispy couldn't get any better, bacon and ranch just entered the chat. The Bacon Ranch McCrispy, available at participating McDonald's for a limited time. Ba da ba ba ba. Davis steps under center. Gibson and McClendon behind it. Davis with motion by Richard. Will get the ball to McClendon. He leaps. Oh, he doesn't get in. He fumbled the football. Carolina holds. The game is over. And Carolina has won the game. Finley to throw. Over the middle. Intercepted. Wolfuck again. Wolfuck the other way. At the 30, the 40. Wolfuck to midfield. Miles Wolfuck with the pick. The heels on the doorstep of an enormous victory. Left side of the line. Hood standing to Williams is right. Williams gonna throw. One on one. Davis has it. Touchdown. Carolina wins. Carolina is the Coastal Division champion. Bernard fields it at the 26. Heading to the far side. Gio at the 35. Gio, he's at the 50. No, he's not. Yes, he is. Gio, he's gonna take it. for the possible win. Snap, spot, kick away, high enough, long enough. It's good! It's good! Carolina has won the game on a 42-yard field goal by freshman Hunter Burr. Good gosh, dirty! This is the Heel Tough Blog Hey guys, and welcome to another edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. It's your host, Anthony Pagnata, with you guys as always. And today it is time to set the table for Saturday's spring game in Chapel Hill. The Tar Heels uh, set for you know a, a practice to close the spring camp, but uh, it's again going to be kind of like what we saw uh, last year. So we'll go through that. Uh, we'll also talk about some of the biggest questions about the team right now. And we'll try to answer the questions of how the team can solve some of these question marks. And then I'm going to give uh, some of the things that I'm excited to see. We'll see, you know, what Josh thinks about that uh, as well as uh, maybe some of the things that he's excited to see. And then, we will uh, get out of here with a recruiting note that you guys will definitely want to hear about one of the team's targets in the defensive backfield in the 2024 class. But as I mentioned, for the first time in a while, Josh Marlowe is here. Um, we are not in person. I will I will reveal that to you. Um, and again, you know, one of the things that uh, we did, you know, want to reiterate, and I'll be reiterating it here for a while. Um, until we get everything worked out is that we do appreciate you guys sticking with us through the changes that are currently going on. The uh, the Pigskin Podcast Network no longer exists. Um, of course, you know, we had just gotten back into doing the video editions of the podcast. This would be one that would definitely be a video edition of the podcast, but we don't have access to StreamYard. Um, we are lucky that as of right now, we still have or feed that is allowed to be on the host site uh, that we were on for uh, the better part of the last year and a half. 
Um, we're working on getting it moved over, but the StreamYard stuff, all that stuff was completely shut off the day uh, that they announced that uh, we were no longer going to be a part of that network. Um, so, you know, we're, we're, we're working through some things. Um, so we're not in person, but, uh, bud, uh, this is, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's relatively exciting. I don't think it, it matches, um, the excitement that we probably thought we would be having when this team was nine and one last year. If you would have told us next spring, how excited are you going to be? Um, especially with a guy like Drake May, who could be in the Heisman race, but, um, it feels good to get back to, you know, seeing this team, um, you know, it, it, granted it'll be, you know, we'll have to watch it on the computer or an app or whatever, but uh, still exciting to see this team back in action. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think the best way to describe the feeling around the program with, from the fan base perspective is you're cautiously optimistic because if I think if this team wins, eight, nine, even 10 games with the quarterback that you got, the overall talent on the offensive side of the ball, some of the the, the changes you made to your staff defensively, I don't think you'd be overly surprised. But, you know, when you end the way that you ended last year where you were nine and one, everything out there in front of you and you end the game with disappointing home losses to – Georgia Tech, NC State, you get routed in the ACC championship game. Then you lose a heartbreaker to Oregon in in, in your bowl game. You know, it, it, it did take a little bit out of where we were through the first 10 or so weeks of the season a year ago. What I'm hoping is, is the way that season ended really fueled an offseason for this team to put themselves back in that situation and and really make amends for how the, the season went wrong. And this year it's going to be different because they don't get the luxury of playing a, a coastal schedule to put themselves in the ACC championship game. Top two teams go. Um, but when you got a guy like Drake May, who's, you know, the second, you know, who's in the top two of quarterbacks in the country, right up there with Caleb Williams, who won the Heisman a year ago from USC, you're going to have a chance every time you walk on the field to go out there and win and compete. This team just has to make some strides in other areas, and that's what the spring is going to be used for, getting getting ready for a fall to where you gear up for a season where you you you, you hope and, and you feel like you're going to compete week in, week out to win a lot of football games. Yeah, and I mean the hope should be that you can you can get back to the ACC championship game. I think that's the goal that – uh, should be there for Carolina. And it, it's in part because, yes, the divisions are scrapped. Florida State has a ton of hype. Um, I'm one of those guys. I, I mean, I guess I'm cautiously, you know, speaking, I'm cautiously optimistic with the Tar Heels, clearly as well. Um, but Florida State's also one of those teams that I think you kind of wonder if the hype is a little bit ahead of, where that program actually is. Now, does that mean that they still could not be, a t you know, they, they, they won't make it to Charlotte? No, there's a chance they could finish the season 10 and two, nine and three overall and still make it. But you're talking about a lot of team or a lot of people preseason that have that team 
either in the playoff or just outside the playoff as the fifth or sixth best team in the entire country. Um, and then there's Clemson. Clemson's not going anywhere. But after after that, I, I think Carolina's kind of in that next tier. I really do feel like Carolina is probably the team because of the quarterback that most people will have finishing third in this conference. And that's the thing that Carolina has to really adjust to because coming into last year, there weren't really a ton of expectations. Drake Bay, you know, won the starting job. Um, we, we felt like he, he was the guy that was probably going to win it for a while there, but it took him a little bit to win the job from Jacoby Criswell. Remember, it went down until about the final week of fall camp. So with that, the fact that they were coming off the disappointing season and really question marks offensively, I think that there was some hesitation to really put expectations on this team. Well, now this team is, I'm not going to say they're exact, they're back to where they were entering the 2021 season because entering the 2021 season, I think pretty much everybody thought this team will make it back to the ACC or they will be in the ACC title game this year. Um, they would have been in a normal year in 2020 if they win the games that they do because Notre Dame wouldn't have been in the conference. But, you know, I, I think for for this year's team, you know, that finish, I, I think, has soured it a little bit more than even the finish to that 2020 season. So we're going to have to see. Um, I, I think this is a team that's going to have to handle some some pretty decent expectations. And hopefully they're they're more well equipped. Hopefully Matt Brown and his staff, uh, they are more well equipped to coach these guys up to handle those types of expectations. And look, let, let's talk about some of the biggest questions around the team right now. And I think there's three at this point that every Tar Heel fan should be discussing. And two of them have been asked repeatedly by Mac Brown so far here in the spring. The first one is how can this team dispel the narratives of being soft, especially in the run games uh, and that they aren't patient enough with the running game. You know, I think this is something that really involves Chip Lindsay and the running mindset that he has had at some of the other stops that he's been at. But I think, you know, when you talk about this, when I say running games, it really is offensive and defensive side of the ball. So it's not just on Chip Lindsay, it's on Gene Shizik and his defense to step up too. Yeah, the, the biggest thing is that it's just got to be a mentality. Like, Carolina's got to find an identity where on offense, they want to run the football to set up their, their passing attack. And then defensively, they, they want to stop the run. And what does that come back to? There, there's just got to be a level of physicality that exists at the line of scrimmage. And I think the reason why you, me, all Tar Heel fans involved are frustrated is for the most part, we look at both units and say, there's talent there to be an offensive line that can wear opponents down, that can maul people at the line of scrimmage, defensively that can get off blocks and, and make tackles, you know, at the line of scrimmage or behind it. And for whatever reason, 
that hasn't come to fruition. I, I think I think you've got a running back group that you feel like can impose its will on defenses and, and really wear teams down with their running game. I mean, Carolina did that early on in the year last year where they would just simply wear teams out. As great as Drake May was, they were able to run the ball at will when uh, early on in the year. And, and so I think there's just got to be a mentality shift and pretty much say, this is who we are. This is who this is who we're gonna be. And if 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 you're not doing your job, we'll find we'll find somebody else that can do it. And I think that's that's something that really just frustrated has frustrated me with Tim Cross and, and really the whole defensive line unit, really after the first year where you know Jay Bateman did get a lot out of that defensive line, it felt like ever since then there's just been this hesitancy to take guys off the field that aren't producing at the level that you need them to produce. And that needs to change. And so I feel like the best way to do it is, you know, and that's the most important thing about spring ball and stuff right now is finding, setting the tone for what your fall camp is going to be and your football season is going to be getting that identity. We're going to be a physical and mentally tough team. And if you're not up to the task, you know, we'll find somebody else to, to come in and, and, and do the job we're asking you to do. Well, they got to actually do that. See, that's the thing is that we've heard the coaching staff, mainly Matt Brown, talk about holding guys to a standard about certain position groups having enough depth to where you can pull guys off the field if they're struggling. And you're you're right. I think towards the end of last year, you started seeing more rotation on the defensive line. But here's my concern with what you saw from the guys that rotated in. They still, there was still the guys that were coming in weren't producing, which then <laughs> goes, well, but, but what I'm saying is, is that that then shows you if every single guy that they put on the field is not producing, then it's a developmental thing. It's something that you're doing. And look, we, we have given a lot of hell to Tim Cross on, on this podcast. And I, I think that he deserves a, a, a good amount of blame because I think the first year, really, I mean, the first and the better part of 2020, you saw Jay Bateman's scheme was really the reason that Carolina was able to get pressure. It wasn't the fact that guys were winning one-on-one up front. Matt Brown told us that multiple times. In the off-seasons, uh, fall camps, he, he told us, look, we got to start winning one-on-one because a lot of what we're doing is just scheming pressure. And it worked, and that was something that, you know, was was a recipe uh, that, that was rather explosive. It would work sometimes. Carolina would have really good defensive performances. Um, where they would really get after a quarterback and and make his life a living hell. But in that same game, you know, there were times where, hey, we sacked the guy five times, but we also gave up 350 yards through the air. Um, And last year, you you know, now with Gene Chizik, a guy that's not going to be that aggressive, that's not his mindset. His mindset is to limit the big plays and really sort of protect against letting up explosives. 
Well, first of all, you don't have a secondary that can handle that. Their communication is terrible, and it's uh, that's that's an area they've still got to get worked out. And we'll talk more about the defensive backfield here a little bit later. But the thing with the with, with the guys up front is. I think part of it is that Gene Chizik has to sort of adjust what he's doing. The other part of it is that these guys, there, there needs to be more creativity up front. And, you know, I, I I really think that them bringing in Ted Monachino, I think that can help because he's a guy that's going to bring a different perspective. He's a guy that has run a similar-ish system um, back, you know, when he was in the NFL with the Baltimore Ravens, when he was at the college level at Arizona State, um, and he's coached some really, really good players. He's the guy that helped coach Terrell Suggs during the year that Terrell Suggs uh, set the NCAA record, a record that will never be broken, by the way, for sacks in a season when Terrell Suggs had 24. That will never be touched. Um, that's video game-like stuff. Uh, and I don't think – I'm not saying that that's what's going to happen with this group, but I think new ideas in that room, I think it, it's really going to help that group out. But you're right. It all comes back to physicality. Now, the offensive side of the ball, you, you said, look, defensively they've, they've got the talent. I agree with you there. Defensive line, that's – I mean, you could argue that's the unit they've recruited the best. They have recruited the hell out of the wide receiver position. They've recruited the hell out of the quarterback position. But that defensive line, in terms of just pure talent, if you took the star ratings of those guys up there, I would guarantee that would easily be inside of the top 15, if not the top 12, based on star ratings in the entire country. It may even be higher than that. So there's really no excuse. Now, the offensive line, I don't feel like that group is nearly as talented. I mean, you're talking about guys like Ed Montalus, William Barnes, guys that were three-star. Well, well, no, William Barnes was a four-star. That's my bad. But Montalus was a guy that was a three-star. I don't really even think we thought he was going to be a full-time starter as quickly as he was. Corey Gaynor, um, not exactly a highly rated guy coming out of high school, but a guy that developed over time in the ACC. Um, you know, Seth, uh, Seth Rollins, Spencer Rollins, not, no, not Seth Rollins, who I believe is a wrestler. Uh, Spencer Rollins, who, you know, Matt Brown said has taken a step, but I mean, he's a guy that's coming from Harvard. So it's a step up for him. And Matt Brown admitted that. Something he didn't do last year, probably should have said that. Um, in the press conferences that, look, this guy's got a, a, a pretty big learning curve that he's going to have to navigate. So that unit, I don't know about the talent, and, and they've been through a lot, man. This is now the third offensive line coach within, now it's a little over a year, but you got to remember, last year they did not get Jack McNell Jr. until spring practice had already began because Stacy Searles, left literally the night before spring practice began. And then you get Jack Bignell Jr. for a year. He has the connection with Phil Longo. The minute that Phil Longo leaves for Wisconsin, Jack Bignell Jr. is following him. And so now you got Randy Clemens coming in, who is a guy that's you know been out of the power conference 
for a little while now. He's spent time, you know, with Houston, um, most recently with North Texas, North Texas. So his thing is going to be about developing guys. But the thing that sucks is it's the same guys that are expected. It's, it is literally the same six offensive linemen um, from, from a year ago, absent awesome Richards. You're basically swapping uh, – Willie Lampkin, the transfer from Coastal Carolina, in for Awesome Richards. Now, Lampkin will be a guard, but that means, and I would love to hear your reaction to this, uh, that means that William Barnes is more than likely going to be this team's starting left tackle. Um, yeah, <laughs> you know. Um, oh, man. Yeah, like here, here's the thing. I know you're saying you're running it back and stuff like that with pretty much the same guys. You know, you're adding the Coastal Carolina transfer. But don't we feel like they've kind of upgraded that position coach both times that they've had to replace the guy who left the year, you know, prior the year prior? Yeah, I I mean, I... But like like and like if we feel that way, right? I, I well, see... I will say this. I think Big Nell Jr. was put in a really tough spot to literally come in in the middle of spring. Like you, he wasn't even there the first day of spring practice last year. So to then have to come in and try to get these guys who you did not help build in the weight room at all. You didn't have any sort of plan for the training staff or anything. I like. I think if you would have given him another year or so, then we could judge him a little more fairly. But yeah, I mean, for the most part, I'd agree. You know, like, I think our biggest issue last year was just the lack of overall adjustments made by McNell as an as, as the position coach, Phil Longo as the, the coordinator. Like, we, we kind of knew, I think it was maybe, was it after the Virginia game? Like, Virginia really gave you a recipe of how to really attack Carolina's offensive line. And, mm-hmm. and Carolina really struggled with, with, with with that defensive front in that ball game. And it just seemed like they never adjusted to that moving, you know, moving forward. And that's why they got they got overpowered by Georgia Tech's offensive line. I think with NC State, it was just that was a day, just a comedy of errors that just really put them in a in a hole to begin with. Clemson, they they were overmatched from word go. Um, we knew that going in. And then you know, I I thought they did a lot of, of really decent things in that with in, in the game against Oregon in the bowl game, and so mm-hmm. I mean I feel like you know whether the talent is there or not, this is this is a group that's now got experience playing together. There should be a chemistry that exists, a cohesiveness that exists, and what you want to see now with Randy Clemens is him tweak the things that need to be tweaked right now to get the most out of them. But then when you get into the season and there's film and stuff on how to attack you to adjust to that, and I feel like if Carolina can do that and they stay more patient with the running game and stuff like that, I do think you're going to see a much a, a much improved offensive line down the stretch. And that's the thing. They just got worn down, I thought, the second half of the year. Um, hopefully that's not the case this year. Well, the other thing, they they – they got worn down, um, and then as you you saw it really in the Georgia Tech game, 
Um, and especially, I thought the Clemson game, it was very, very obvious. Even a little bit against NC State. But Clemson, it was very obvious. They did a really good job, for the most part, of run blocking in between the 20s. The minute that they got inside the red zone, it it just completely changed. And that's that's something that cannot happen. That's where... When you talk about physicality on the offensive side of the football, you talk about sticking with the run, that's where it has to show up is in the red zone. If you can run the football in the red zone, it's going to make you nearly impossible to stop. And early in the season, they were able to do that. The, The fact that they went from one of the best red zone teams in the country the first 10 games of the year to, I mean, just, I, I mean, they finished like middle of the road in the country. That is how bad they were down the stretch in the red zone. It, I mean, it was absolutely pathetic at times. The turnovers, like that's the thing. You were coming away completely empty in red zone trips. Missed field goals, turnovers. Those are the things that they've got to get cleaned up. But if you can run the ball, if you can handle the pass rush, that was another thing that 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 really hurt them at times in the red zone. I mean, Georgia Tech got them a few times in the red zone. Uh, that pass rush just they, – they were able to step things up at, in, when it mattered the most, and Carolina couldn't counter that. That's where they have to get better. I want to see other guys emerge there. Um, like, they, they revealed earlier uh, in the spring that they moved Zach Rice. He's now a guard. That's why you're not seeing him at tackle. They had never said anything about that. Matt Brown said that move was made during last spring, and yet they never mentioned that at all. So I thought going in, okay, well, that was a guy that you recruited. I mean, he was the number one tackle in the country coming out of high school. They're naturally going to go to him. No, now we find out he's moved to guard, and – now that position relatively thin. One of the guys they wanted to play there, Caden Baker, he has medically retired. So I don't know. I I, I want to see I want to see other guys step up there because I know I know these guys another year together maybe it, it starts to bring some cohesion. But I I mean we've talked about it with, with certain guys. I, I think especially William Barnes or not William Barnes, excuse me. Especially Ed Montalus. Ed Montalus is not a not a starter. I think he's a guy that can rotate in for you. I think when he was in that role, he was really good. But we've seen him start now for the better part of two seasons. And when he's a starter, he's just not nearly as effective. William Barnes at left tackle, I mean, that scares me about as much as any other position group out there. Like that is, he is going to be protecting the blind side he struggled at times in pass protection last year, especially towards the end of the year at right guard. You, if you're going to play left tackle, you're going to have to be pretty flawless in pass protection. Because when did Carolina start to struggle a year ago? When Awesome Richards started to struggle at left tackle protecting the quarterback. So, that yeah, I'm hoping other guys can step up. You know, the other thing Mac Brown talked about, really he brought this up the other day. And I'm shocked this wasn't brought up earlier, but I think it, uh, I know at this point, some people may be like, how do you believe him? I believe that he's right about this. 
he talked about the fact that this team knows that the way that they finished in November last year was unacceptable. And I mean, I would hope so. You you lost your final four games of the regular season. Now, of course, not all of them came in November, but those three losses that they had uh, or two losses that they had in November were killers because if you win either one of those two games, it's probably a completely different feel about the season, but you lose at home to a terrible Georgia Tech team. I know they were playing better under Brent Key, but come on, man. Let's not sugarcoat things here. And then uh, an NC State team that was vulnerable. That that was a game that was there for the taking. Um, and it, one of the things he said is that finishing strong is what this team is focused on. So the question is, how can this team – find a way to finish the season strong after last year's class. Um, it's a really good question because I don't know if this team is going to be nine and one going into the final two games of the regular season. And even if they are look at their last two games, as opposed to last year, I mean, state is still in there. We don't really know what they're going to be, but there are some people that think they could be better. The other game, I'm going to go out on a limb and say Clemson, on the road, by the way, a little bit tougher game than hosting Georgia Tech. Yeah, I mean, like, like here's the thing. I, I felt like last year, I think they just got overwhelmed by the moment, I guess. Like, there was, you know, at the time, the Heisman was still up for grabs. Caleb Williams hadn't yet won it. Um, so Carolina was doing the right thing to try to push their their quarterback for the most prestigious award in college athletics. But I, I definitely do believe it impacted the way that the team prepared for the final two games, the final two games of the regular season. So, you know, I, I guess the thing is, is that, and I said this last year, I put a lot of blame on the on the coaching staff for that. Like, you've got a veteran mm-hmm. head coach in Mac Brown. You had a veteran coaching staff around you. You would have felt like they wouldn't have they wouldn't have allowed the outside noise to 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 get to them. But that's that's definitely what happened. So. I think the biggest thing is just understanding that, like, you know, you, you got to play every down like it's your last, and you got to play to the whistle. And whether Clemson's undefeated when you go to Death Valley next year or whether NC State's a three-win football team when you go to Raleigh, no matter what it is, you just simply were not good enough yet to overlook opponents and sleepwalk and beat them when we're not playing our A game. And, and so there's got to be a hunger and a desire to to bury your opponents. Mm-hmm. And that was my biggest issue that you and I argued about all year long with the way Carolina played in September and October. I told you then, I didn't think that style of play was sustainable for a year-long's worth of winning. And unfortunately, I was proven right at the most inopportune time when you, know, you lose two home games that you probably shouldn't have lost. So... You know, I think they're going to be in a different situation when they go into the the month of November. I still think they'll be competing for a spot in the ACC championship game. They just can't allow that to over overwhelm them because year five under Mac Brown, 
with Drake May at quarterback, that's the expectation. That shouldn't be foreign territory uh, to this team this year moving forward. Well, part of part, part of what's going to help them here is I think it's what you said. I don't think this team's going to have one loss heading into that game. I just – the schedule – that they have is too tough. And I know some people will say, and I, I saw somebody respond to this um, the other day when somebody was, uh, somebody wrote an article about, I think like the strength of schedules in the ACC or something. And they said, Oh, well, Mac Brown got called out for his comments. No, Mac Brown got called out for his comments because he said unfair. That's the problem. The fact that it's a tough schedule, nobody's nobody's denying that. Like you've got South Carolina, uh, App State, Minnesota in the non-conference. You start out your conference play with a really solid Pittsburgh team. Um, you still, you know, Miami. We're still we still don't know exactly what they're going to be. And then, yeah, you close the season with two of your most difficult games of the year. Um, so I don't think they're, they're, they're going to go in, in the same spot and maybe that creates more hunger. Uh, hopefully, you know, this is also a team that's going to take from that experience a year ago. I mean, look, there are, you know, there is some turnover naturally, but for the most part, this is the, the majority of guys that are contributors to this team are the same guys from last year outside of really that defensive backfield, um, that was just completely shredded by the transfers. Although if we're being honest, it might be a unit that ends up actually being better because of the guys that will be playing there this year, as opposed to, you know, guys that were there last year that just, just unfortunately um, were not able to live up to expectations. And part of that probably falls on the coaching staff. We've talked about that at length as well. Um, but I, I think, what what it really comes down to is that this team just just finding a way to not get as worn out as they did a year ago, and they need to have more rotation than they did last year. I think that if Chip Lindsay's game plan works the way that we think it's going to work, you're going to have you know a chance for your defense to maybe not be nearly as worn out. Now that I'm not saying that's the reason that they struggled the way that they did. That that last year was one of the worst defenses Carolina's ever had. There's no if, ands, or buts about it. I mean, the fact that their passing defense was the worst passing defense that Carolina's had since 2003 statistically, that should tell you all you need to know about that. But the slower pace should help them should help the guys on the offensive side of the football, especially your offensive line where, again, we, we've heard Mac Brown say he wants to have depth everywhere so he can rotate guys in. It is not happening right now on the offensive line. You, you, you currently have six guys that you feel comfortable playing. Um, we've seen it the last few years. You're not going to find four other guys that are going to develop uh, to a point where you're more confident in them than you probably are heading out of spring. Um, I just I, I I find that hard to believe. So I, I think you know hopefully the new system will help them to be a little bit fresher. And then you know I I think the other part of it is just you know when when you 
when, when you have to make plays late in these games, you would hope that Carolina is able to do it. And part of that is what you were talking about. It's not even in close games. It's making plays to put opponents away. The, the reason that they lost the game to Georgia Tech, I don't think it was the way that they prepared coming into that week. I think it was the mindset that that team got into once they got up 17-0. They thought to themselves, we're a 9-1 football team. They're a team that is not even going to make a bowl game. We have a guy that may end up winning the Heisman Trophy. Remember, at that time, there was a legitimate chance that if Carolina won out, he could he, he could win the Heisman Trophy because that there wasn't a clear favorite. Caleb Williams, I mean, he had just an unreal finish to the season that, that pretty much gave him that award. But I think the, the thinking in their head was that, oh, they're just going to roll over. And there were multiple times last year that it felt like that was the mindset of this team. Hopefully, that is something that can change this year. It's it, it, it not, you know, Mac Brown is hopefully focused on that. Hopefully the new coaches have focused on that as well. That's, that's what I think that key is. And then th this is the ultimate question for this season, because this is something Mac Brown has not brought this up. He will not bring this up. This is something he probably should never talk about because you would not want to use this phrase um, that, that talk about losing a locker room. It would be pretty easy to use this. But this is something that you're going to hear a lot from people around the ACC and even from people nationally. And it's how can this team avoid wasting Drake May's talent this season? I, I think it's, to me, I think it's right where you said, if they don't win eight games, you've wasted his talent. And that would be two quarterbacks in a row that you can make the case that while they were on campus, Carolina was not able to hit the ceiling that was possible with these guys, or even come close to hitting the ceiling that was possible with these with these guys. Look, nine wins. I, I mean, that's really solid for Tario football. That was just the second time that has happened since Matt Brown left in 1997. The other time, 2015. But you need you you need to get to that eight win. I, I I might even think you need to get to that nine win mark again this season, in order for this to be seen as you not wasting the talent of Drake May, a guy who very well might be the first or second quarterback off the board in next year's NFL draft. Yeah, I mean. I think if you want to say to where you didn't waste his talent, um, I think the best answer is getting back to the ACC championship game. Because like if you go back to back, I think you could definitely say it wasn't wasted, right? Like you 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 played for a conference championship, um, in consecutive years, something you you haven't done since the ACC championship game came into existence. Um, and then doing so when you're not having when when with, with the coastal now being taken out of the equation, you know is would would be rather impressive just given the schedule 
and stuff like that. If this team though still goes eight and four, or even nine and three, but because of a tiebreaker or whatever, they don't get they don't get back to Charlotte. I'm not going to sit here and say that it was a failure and they wasted they wasted them right. Like, mm-hmm. but if you go six and six, or heaven forbid, you're five and seven, four and eight, or whatever. Then yeah, I mean you you're gonna you're gonna have nothing to show for, it. and I'm, that's been my biggest fear. That's that's been my biggest fear all along since we we went through the three years of Sam Howell, who played the best quarterback we've ever seen uh, in Chapel Hill in the history of the program. You then got Drake May, who had the best redshirt freshman season we've ever seen, and one of the best in in the history of college football. And you, right now, you don't have a whole lot to show for it. I mean, for Sam Howell, you you won eight games your second year and went to the Orange Bowl and you got beat. For Drake May, you started nine and one, but you lost four in a row to to end the year and not a whole lot to show for it in, in, in that year either. So, you know, you're really trying to avoid striking out on back-to-back quarterbacks where – they individually produced a lot and, and are the two best quarterbacks the program's ever seen, but the program doesn't have a whole lot to, to really show for it. So the easy answer is saying getting back to Charlotte and saying, hey, you get back to the AC title game, you, you didn't waste it. But if you win eight, nine games and you're competitive in November and you're playing full, you're playing meaningful football in November, I do also think that qualifies as a way to say, hey, we didn't waste him his last year. We most likely have him on campus. All right. Well, we've been talking about, you know, some question marks here, which does bring about, you know, a, a little bit of concern, a little bit of uneasiness. Let's talk about the stuff that I'm excited to see. And I'm interested to see, you know, what you think of this. And you can, you know, agree or disagree with this, um, with, with these. I got five. And then, you know, you could throw some out there as well at the end. Um, that that you're excited about. You know, the first thing for me, sticking with Drake May, I'm excited to see how he fits into the new system. We've heard, yeah, and and I mean, we've heard that it's going to be somewhat the same, which I mean, I got to be honest, kind of concerns me a little bit because Chip Lindsey is a guy that it seems like has had enough issues at times calling his own offense. The fact that he's been stripped of play calling duties uh, the two times that, you know, he has been an offensive coordinator with uh, Gus Malzahn in between there. He was, of course, a head coach at Troy. So I- I'm interested to see what he looks like in this new system. And maybe this is honestly a thing that I- I'm just excited to see what the new system looks like overall. I think it's just the fact that you've got a guy as talented as Drake May, your your guy that's going to be in the Heisman race that makes me specifically focus on him. Yeah, I mean like here's the thing if 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 Drake May doesn't adapt and doesn't fit in what Chip Lindsay wants to do, it's going to be a long season. Um because that's how that's how important he is to this team. You could argue Drake May as as important as any individual player is to any team in all of college football. Because mm-hmm. because of just how gifted and talented he is, if 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 you get the most out of him, I think Carolina can be first off a good team uh, and a fun team to watch. But if if the things that that happens or that force Chip Lindsay to lose his play calling duties and back to back jobs, 
if, if those kind of issues arise here in Chapel Hill, someone's probably going to be getting fired, and or a lot of people are going to be getting fired. You know, when you look at Lindsey losing his play calling duties, maybe that's just the fact that Gus Malzahn's just a douche. And it's very, it's very ego, possible. That thought know, has he, entered my mind. You know, wants to do things his way. But, you know, there's also there was also a reason and that was justifiable enough for it to happen back-to-back time. So, yeah, I mean, that's what everyone's going to be looking at, right? Because I don't think I don't think we ever thought Phil Longo was leaving Chapel Hill to be a coordinator somewhere else. We thought if he left, he was going to be a head coach somewhere else. Well, that's what happened. He left to be a coordinator. He's now in Madison, Wisconsin. Um, and we wish him the best of luck. And so we, we got to see how Drake may adapts. We know Lindsay said he's going to be very quarterback friendly to him and stuff like that. But, you know, if, if for some reason they aren't on the same page, you know, that it, it, it does cause for concern, just given how tough that schedule is out of the gate with that, with that non-conference schedule of South Carolina, uh, App State, Minnesota. Yeah. I mean, look, in terms of like the, the things that I'm worried about, Drake May adjusting to an offense that that is that is so far down on the list. I mean, this kid is about as smart as it gets. His talent level is I mean, we we saw it the first 10 games of last year. And I, I think that's a question that, you know, we're going to have to talk about more as we go throughout the offseason is which which Drake May are we going to see this year? Are we going to see the guy that we saw in the first 10 games of last year? Or are we going to see the guy that we saw in the final four games of last season? Um, I tend to think that he is probably pro- overall, he's probably somewhere in between, but I do think that in between means that he is much closer to the guy that you saw in the first 10 games of the season, as opposed to the last four. So I'm not too worried about him fitting in. I'm just interested to see what the system looks like. It's going to be hard to tell what, you know, how this ends up working itself out. But I'm interested to see when it comes to the play calling, one, how many guys are involved, and two, who ultimately is, the, you know, is making the decisions. Like, what what is the rhythm that they're going in? On you know the when it comes to play calling because we were talking about this before we you know ended up going on air here. But one of the things that became the undoing of of Larry Fedora outside of the recruiting was the fact that he had so many different voices that were making calls in the offensive room on the offensive side of the football. You had him who was, was making play calls. You had Gunther Brewer, who would call plays, and you would have Chris Kapilovic, who would call plays. And, yes, there was a time where one would call first down plays, one would call second down plays, the other one would call third down plays. I don't know if it'll be to that extent here, but you got Chip Lindsey, who's there. The passing game coordinator is now Lonnie Galloway. and. Look, I'm not saying Lonnie Galloway didn't deserve to get a bigger role. I think he's done a tremendous job, but it'll just be interesting to see how involved he is. And then the run game coordinator and a guy that's called plays at the NFL level in Freddie Kitchens will be involved. So that'll be interesting to monitor how that works moving forward. And and that's something that hasn't really been asked to Mac Brown 
in a press conference. If it has, I may have missed it. Um, but I, I think that's something that Toriel fans should want an answer to. And I'd be interested to see if somebody will ask him that, um, you know, maybe even after the game um, or, you know, the, the practice, whatever they're considering this on Saturday or once they get into fall camp. Um, the second thing I'm excited to see, I, I, I'm really excited to see these two transfer wide receivers. I, I think both of these guys, you know, we, we've we've heard them be raved about at different points of the spring here. Um, Deva, uh, Devontae Walker has been talked about, I mean, every single time they have had a, a press conference. Mac Brown has been raving about this dude. Uh, but Nate McCollum's received a lot of praise as well. I'm I'm really excited to see the connection that Drake May has supposedly built with these guys on display on Saturday. Yeah, no, I'm right there with you. I think I think they both have a lot to offer, and I, and I think they can both do some things in this passing game that this this passing game is going to need to to get to get to another level this year. Um, you're having to replace a guy like Josh Downs who you know, was, was a great individual wide receiver, um, could do a lot of things for you. You got to replace a guy in Antoine Green who, you know, did, did some good things, but health really held him back in, in the majority of different ways. Um, and, and these guys just feel like, you know, they're going to be ready to come in and be impactful players. And, you know, I, I, I think Carolina is going to need that because there is a hesitancy to, to, to really believe that they're going to be able to run the ball and, so the fact that you got two dudes that you feel like you could plug into your system and produce right away, if Carolina does have to lean on its passing game early on, uh, is 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 a good thing. And you know, um, as as well as they recruited, as well as as they recruited that position, the fact that they went and got two guys in the portal kind of tells you what they feel about the, the that room internally. But I like the two guys that they have, and I think both of them will make. Uh, big time plays all year long uh, alongside Drake May in this new this new look Carolina offense. Yeah, I, I don't I don't know how much it says about the room. I think Walker I think was a guy that it just had so much up. So like somebody somebody big was going to pick him up because of just how explosive he is. Uh, McCollum, I don't know. I to me like they would have been fine either way. They don't pick him up. Like if you're if you're telling me that we don't pick up. Nate McCollum, we're playing Kobe Pesor in the slot. I mean, are we mad about that? We saw Kobe Pesor play. He started three games a year ago. Uh, all three of those games, he led the team in receiving. Like, I I feel pretty comfortable with where that group is as a whole. I know Mac Brown is saying right now we've got four guys that we really feel like are blue team guys. He's used that before. Blue team means first team. White team means second team. And then there's depth guys. I, I think, I, I mean, to me, I, I think that you, you should be pretty confident in Pesor, Gavin Blackwell, who he's mentioned as returning guys, the two transfers. J.J. Jones is out hurt. Um, I know, to me, you're in a spot now where – because Pesor will probably play on the outside, you don't need to start J.J. Jones, which I think is probably the best thing for J.J. Jones to come in as a rotational guy. Um, and then, you know, I, I think Andre Green Jr. is a guy that's been talked about. I'll be interested to see what he does on Saturday because I thought he was going to be a guy that would really thrive this spring. And it's not that he hasn't, 
But Matt Brown said he has really started to pick his game up here this last week or so. He had his best scrimmage on Thursday. So let's see if that sort of extends over uh, into the game on Saturday. Uh, third thing, the, the defensive line depth guys are the guys that I'm really focused on here. Last two weeks, or last two times that Mac Brown has spoke, rather, he has talked extensively about Kedrick Bingley-Jones, Bo Atkinson, and this time, you know, around on Tuesday, he mentioned Travis Shaw has taken a step forward. And Travis Shaw, not really a depth guy, was going to be a rotational piece, probably battling for a starting job. But to hear that he's taken a step forward is big. I really think that this unit, kind of like the offensive line unit to a certain extent, you need other guys to emerge here. There are there are guys that are really solid contributors. Um, Kamen Rucker, I really think that if he could stay inside instead of having to play at that power end spot, which I think just didn't fit him well, Jabari Ritzy can do uh, a lot of the good things uh, as an interior guy, and I think he, he could have uh, an even better season than he did a year ago. But it feels like some of these younger guys, some of these depth guys, I mean, Bingley Jones is a junior, but he's been so banged up. It's basically like the dude is a freshman at this point. Um, if those guys can step up, I think there there will be some, some reasons to have a little bit of excitement about this unit as we go into fall camp. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing. If we want this defense to take a step forward, it 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 it's it starts and ends with this group, right? Like if if the defensive line does not become better as a whole, then Carolina's defense, you would imagine, isn't going isn't going to get much better. I love the fact that Travis Shaw and Mac Brown has said that he has taken a step because we saw it kind of felt like in a limited capacity a year ago. It felt like every time he was on the field, something happened. Whether he just plugged the right gap or whatever it was. Kendrick Bingley Jones, you, like you said, he's he's been hurt so much. It's really we don't even really kind of know who he is or what he can be, but you're hoping that you know he can stay healthy and provide some sort of depth along this defensive line. Bo Atkinson just sounds like a defensive lineman, so I'm going to go out on a limb and say he might be. You know, he's going to be a, one of the the key pieces of what Carolina's defensive front does, and and so. You know, the best way to build depth is to rotate guys. And so hopefully that rotation we saw at the end of last year where, you know, it was kind of Carolina's defense was keeping in the games because the offense had hit a lull or whatever. Hopefully that rotation is there from where it go because I feel like they've got enough of the right guys that they can use in a lot of different ways to cause problems up front. Um, and – you know, as much as we we like the linebacking core here, this revamp secondary, like you said, they might be better. None of that stuff matters if you're not winning up front in the trenches. And I feel like Carolina is as poised to do that on as as much as a consistent basis since the 2020 season. Well, let's talk about that other key unit defensively. That's the other thing I'm excited to see is that defensive backfield. And there's, there's a part of it that I'm really excited about, which is the corners. I, I think, you know, we've heard Mac Brown say it. There's three guys that are really standing out at corner. It is Marcus Allen, Legend Cavazos, as you would expect, and then Elijah Huzzy. And Elijah Huzzy is a dude that 
I mean, Matt Brown has has talked about like he's talked about Devontae Walker a ton. This guy is easily the most talked about transfer. Like th- this guy has done everything that he possibly can right. He is come in and and look, there is a step up. You're you're one that has talked about this multiple times. Coming up from the FCS level is not going to be easy for him, but he is doing the thing that this defense needs more than anything, that Jason Jones, uh, his defensive backfields have done everywhere that he has gone, and that's taking away the football. So I'm going to be really interested to see them, and I, I am interested to see as well what this team it looks like at safety because the way that Mac Brown has talked, there are no answers at safety. This is a complete crapshoot right now. Now, part of it is that Will Hardy has not practiced the entire spring. I believe he said, uh, I was of the belief Will Hardy was out for the entire spring. Um, I believe Mac Brown said he will be limited in the game. So there's going to be a session called the thud session, which is non-tackling. They don't take guys to the ground. Uh, That'll allow limited guys to step in and play a little bit, to basically have you know, some participation in a scrimmage and allow them to take some more reps. That could be where we see Will Hardy. Um, Geo Biggers has also been dealing with an injury, but that that's going to be, I, I'm, I'm excited to see if there are other guys that are stepping up there. Um, also, what does Jaquarius Conley look like? There's, there's so many different things in that defensive backfield that you can really take away, but just as a whole, that's, that's something I'm excited to see. Yeah, I mean, you know, I talked a lot to him last year. I really liked what I saw from Marcus Allen. He was a physical corner that I thought could get off blocks and make plays on the edge if he had to make a play in the run game. Um, there was a play, I believe it was in the state game, where, you know, he he got off a block and made a tackle in the backfield. And that's just something we didn't see a whole lot of. You know, the uh, Legend Cavazos was a guy that it felt like the more that he played, the more comfortable, the more comfortable that, that he got. And – you know, as much as we like Tony Grimes and Storm Duck, there was just a regression there over the, their time the, la- the last couple years. So, um, the stuff about the safeties is is pretty concerning. Like, if 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 you're sitting here in spring ball and you're you're saying that it's it's a literal crapshoot, that that probably doesn't. That probably doesn't lend very well to, to the stuff being fixed, you know, by the time you probably start the season, unless you just some guys emerge in, in fall camp. The best way to do that, though, is to force turnovers. Like, if you're going to give up big plays, but you're going to force turnovers at a, frequent, at, a, at a frequent rate, I think we can live with that. What we can't live with is giving up the plays that we've given up while not, while not forcing turnovers or scoring points off of pick sixes and stuff like that. So, you know, we, we both said all summer long that we, we are all, all off season long. We like the new additions to the defensive backfield coaching staff. Um, and hopefully that does come to fruition in some shape or form. Um, so I'm with you. I, I was high on Marcus Allen a year ago. That's not going to change, but hopefully on Saturday, we take a step forward in the right direction to finding a answer or two at that safety spot. Yeah, and and uh, again, I will double down on this. I, I think I think that Elijah Hussey is, is going to have you uh, you maybe may questioning whether or not this dude 
is going to have as steep of a learning curve as you think. Because I, I, the, the things they're saying about him, the way he plays the football, I'm, I'm hoping that he can show out in this game. Um, last one that I have, real quick here. I, I just, I'm, I'm interested to see. You know, Mac Brown revealed this yesterday or Tuesday in his press conference. Uh, Connor Harrell won the backup quarterback job. That that was literally a battle for about a week and a half. That's how quickly he sort of showed, hey, I, and and part of that may be that a guy that's an early enrollee in Tad Hudson is not ready to compete with him just yet. And that's not something that people should panic about either. It, it's, you know, a learning curve, you know, for, for certain guys going to take longer than others. You also have to consider Tad Hudson not nearly as highly rated as Sam Howell and Drake May were coming out of high school. But I'm really interested to see Connor Harrell, a guy that Mac Brown says has been absolutely outstanding so far here in spring practice. Um, I, I'm interested to see what he looks like with the twos and, and to see if he's a guy that we should feel relatively confident about. One, if the scenario is presented where he has to play at some point this year because the way that, you know, Drake May has, has ran the football, it's always possible that he can, you know, get banged up. And two, uh, if he's a guy that you feel comfortable with, you know, being a part of, uh, you know, the battle next year, which will probably, you know, commence again, but really being the leader heading into that battle and, and potentially being the guy that takes over for Drake. Yeah, no, I mean, everyone should be excited to watch him play because right now he's the future of your quarterback room as we enter this year under the assumption that Drake May will play one more year in Chapel Hill than he will go pro and play in the NFL. Um, and, you know, you've you've done a really good job covering this uh, on, Heel, on, on our website, HeelToughBlog.com. Carolina is, isn't landing quarterbacks uh, at the rate that you want to see them right now on the recruiting trail. So mm-hmm. Connor Harrell is going to be the guy that once Drake May goes pro, we'll kind of pass the baton to. And, you know, we were all very, uh, uh, I, I guess, confident that Drake May would step in admirably for Sam Howell once Sam Howell went pro. And that's been proven, uh, been proven true so far. It'd be nice to know that once Drake May moves on, we've got another guy in Connor Harrell they'll step right in and and keep guiding this Tar Heel offense the way we've seen it the last four or five years or so. All right. So is there anything else that you're really excited to see on Saturday? Because, I mean, there are still a lot of elements of this team that we haven't, you know, even really touched on. The biggest, the most important thing, and I've, I've talked about this for the last three years, is what is the tight end's role in this offense? Um, I feel like with the way Chip Lindsey wants to run the ball, you'll see some more – tight end, two tight end sets to help them in there for, you know, to, 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 to put an extra blocker or two on the football field. But, you know, I think Bryson Nesman, I think uh, Copenhaver, I think those guys can make plays for you in the passing game. So that's always going to be something that I'm going to focus on because I've, I've said it since really the second year when Phil Longo was here, that was the next step in this offense evolving. And, we're sitting here now going into year five of Mac Brown, new offensive coordinator. I still think that's that 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 same method, that same belief still applies. Another one that I did not put on here, but I think is important is that running back rotation. Um part of that is that, you know, they they've they found three guys there. Mac Brown said that on Tuesday. 
Part of it's because injuries, though. So how does you know how, how does that group handle that? Um, I, I think you know Elijah Green was to me a no brainer to be a part of that rotation. I think Amari and Hampton, you know, we saw him early last year. You'd imagine that he's going to build off of that this off season. Um, so you know he he seemed like a no brainer as well. And then you've got British Brooks. He'll be in the limited portion. He's not going to be a full go just yet. Still coming off that knee injury from a year ago. But that those are the three. Right now, I'll be interested to see what, you know, that that group looks like. And also, it'll be interesting to monitor that group afterwards because I think, you know, Caleb Hood, guy that really performed well in the middle of last season, not a part of that rotation. And, and again, he's still coming back from an injury, but it doesn't seem like uh, Mac Brown thinks he's going to be much of a factor there. Um, and then, you know, that there's also George Petaway. He's been banged up the last two weeks with an ankle injury, a sprained ankle that has kept him out of practice. You would imagine probably won't play at all in this game. They're going to be cautious with that. But what's his role in this backfield? Is there one for him? Mac Brown said that he was looking good before that injury. But the thing is, is for him, he's a guy that you want to keep around because of what he did special teams wise. So that'll be interesting to see how they balance that, all that stuff. Uh, will be seen on Saturday in the spring game. The action starts at 3 p.m., uh, 1 o'clock for the kids zone. You can get out there um, and uh, start, you know, celebrating uh, with the kiddos. Uh, but, yeah, 3 o'clock is when it all gets underway. If you're in the stadium, it is free um, to get in. Uh, if not, if you can't make it out to the stadium, uh, like us, unfortunately, uh, because of work, uh, you it will be available on ACC Network Extra. So basically just go to uh, the Watch ESPN app or uh, the uh, Watch tab on ESPN.com, and it will be under there. So we're going to take a really quick break, turn around, come right back on this edition of the podcast, and I'll get you out with one closing note about one of the Tar Heels targets in the defensive backfield that is committing later on today. Stick around for that on this edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. Back right after this. There are plenty of ways to find out everything that you need to know about Tar Heel football and basketball. Just go to Facebook, search at Heel Tough Blog, and find the Heel Tough Blog Facebook page and like it. When you do, everything, the articles, the podcast, all in one central location on your timeline. Not a big Facebook user? Head over to Twitter. At Heel Tough Blog on Twitter, make sure you give it a follow, and you can follow the personal pages of our talents here at the Heel Tough Blog, at HTB Anthony for Anthony Pagnata, myself at HTB underscore Josh for Josh Marlowe, and at Hack Zubbard too for our recruiting analyst Zach Hubbard. Hey guys, welcome back into the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. Anthony Pagnata, Josh Marlowe with you. We've gotten you ready for the spring game this coming Saturday. But before that, Carolina's attention is going to be on one of their targets in the defensive backfield who is going to make his commitment actually later on this afternoon at 5 o'clock p.m. And that is 2024 three-star safety Zaire Rainier. Uh, out of the state of Virginia, comes from Richmond, um, Carolina, Duke, Minnesota, Stanford, Virginia, Virginia Tech, and Wake Forest 
are the seven teams that he named in his top seven. Uh, Carolina, Virginia, and Virginia Tech are the teams that he has been most closely tied to for the majority of his recruitment. He has taken multiple visits to each of those schools, actually three visits to all to uh, those three. Um, he is a guy that, you know, his dad played at Virginia, so that was thought, thought to be a factor here for him. But it looks like, as of right now, it is going to be P.J. Fleck and the Minnesota Golden Gophers that are going to land his commitment. He's taken a couple of visits this offseason up there. I just took one recently, and it seems like that sort of sealed the deal for him. He is going to be heading to the Midwest. Uh, two, you know, one crystal ball uh, has been cast on 24-7 sports in favor of the Gophers. Two predictions on rivals in favor of them as well. So it looks like uh, he will be a guy that will be heading to play uh, a team that Carolina or play for a team that Carolina will be playing later on this year. Uh, if he commits elsewhere, the Toriel's focus on that 2024 trail has to turn uh, to in-state guy Malcolm Ziegler. I think that's the first guy that they have to focus on, but also a guy from the state of Florida that Carolina has been recruiting pretty hard as well could get more attention or or uh, or no, from the state of Georgia, excuse me, in uh, Christian Peterson uh, is another guy that I think Carolina's attention could turn to at that safety spot. So that's going to wrap it up for this edition of the podcast, guys. Make sure you're checking out the website, HeelToughBlog.com. We're going to have you covered with everything around the spring game. I just uh, put up the article um, yesterday about Mac Brown and his press conference, uh, the takeaways that I had from it. And there are a ton more. There's stuff that we didn't even talk about in this edition of the podcast that's in there for you guys to check out. So make sure that you guys are uh, giving that a look. I will also have, you know, I'm going to write something up. I'm not sure exactly how I'm going to approach it, but I will have something up about the spring game. Um, and then, I, you know, after it's over, I will have my takeaways from the spring game, just like we do for normal games. I will have that for the spring game and let you guys know, um, you know, what, what, what stood out to me. And then also we will have a stock report that will come out uh, to tell you who is trending up, who is trending down, heading into uh, the dead period and into the summer. Um, as Mac Brown said, he is going to lay out the depth chart. Uh, on Monday, well, we hope to, you know, with those articles, uh, give him and the staff a little bit of clearance if they're looking for our opinion. Um, also, we'll keep you covered on the recruiting trail, as I mentioned, with Rainier. If he does end up stunning, uh, you know, the experts and committing to Carolina, we'll have that for you. And, of course, we'll be covering everything else. Carolina is going to have some guys that will be in town for the spring game. So you never really know. There could be another commitment here right before we get ready to enter the recruiting dead period. And, of course, the transfer portal is opening back up for football. It actually opens on Saturday. So if there is anything on that front for Carolina, whether it's incoming or outgoing, we will have you covered. Meanwhile, speaking of the transfer portal, on the basketball side of things, I don't even really know how to describe what, what is going on. It seems like one day Carolina is landing two or three guys out of the portal. The next day Carolina is landing nobody and we're lighting the earth on fire. Well, either way, we're going to have you covered on the website at HeelToughBlog.com. 
Uh, check out all that great basketball coverage. Of course, there will be some recruiting stuff uh, that will be involved in there. Mainly, it's going to be about the possibility of reclassification from Elliot Cadu and Ian Jackson. Those are still big storylines as well. So all of that stuff on the website, HeelToughBlog.com. Make sure you guys also, uh, when it comes to the podcast, both the Heel Tough Blog podcast and the Four Corners podcast, you are finding that wherever you listen to your podcast. And when you do, rate, review, and subscribe. Most importantly is that last part, that subscribe feature, uh, so that you don't miss any editions of either one of those podcasts. It's going to be another tremendous offseason. So uh, make sure that you guys are sticking around with us for it. So that wraps it up for this edition of the podcast. Want to thank Josh for hosting with me. Want to thank you guys for listening. And as always, go Torius. want to thank you guys for listening to this edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. If you could, make sure you head over to wherever you listen to your podcast, find out where you can rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast, and go ahead and do that for us. The rating and reviewing, that helps us to move up some of those rankings, and the subscribing, that is for you, so you don't miss any editions of the podcast coming up. We look forward to you being a part of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast family moving forward, and thank you once again for listening to this edition.